I would like to start by uh, praying. So if you would bow your heads, I'm going to give you a moment. Uh, All of us are coming from different circumstances, different burdens that we carry, different uh, things that we're wrestling with. I'm just going to give us some space to offer that up to God and ask for his help. So would you just pray now? Lord, we come with anticipation uh, because your Holy Spirit is here with us. Uh, Your Holy Spirit is active in the world, bringing sinners to Jesus and bringing uh, Jesus, bringing us to the Father and the Father filling us with your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come now and fill this place, fill our lives and our minds, give us attention. Lord, in Interpret the preaching of your word in a way that just ministers to all the different needs in the room now. We come with burdens, Lord, anxieties, and cares, concerns. I pray this morning that we would hear from you through your word. We need you. We pray in Christ's name. Okay, true story. Uh, This boy had been told by his parents, do not play with fire. I'm sure we all had that talk with our dads at some point, and every dad has probably given that. And this this kid was a little pyro. Like, he loved to light things on fire and made dad real nervous, okay? So one day, he's in the backyard. He had been told, don't play with fire. But he could not resist the idea that was planted in his brain, what would happen if I just lit a pine cone, I mean, it's just a pine cone. And in his backyard, he lights the pine cone, and pretty soon this thing just erupts into a a little mini forest fire in his hand, and he drops it quickly. He drops it into a bunch of dead leaves, and quickly everything begins to burn, and he takes the stem, and he throws it over the fence, goes and grabs uh, the hose, and he puts it out. Whew, that was close. Cover it all up, the black leaves are gone, and everything is okay. A few minutes later, he's in the backyard, he smells smoke. He doesn't realize that the tree that was shedding all those leaves on this side of the fence was also shedding leaves on that side of the fence, and all of those leaves erupted into a flame which consumed the garage that had the apartment above the garage that the neighbor had just finished about three months prior, huge project. It's now engulfed in a huge flame. True story. The kid runs in, calls 911. They come, they put out the fire. They couldn't save the apartment and the garage. But the firemen are all high-fiving this kid. Buddy, you did an amazing job. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. You smelled the fire, you saw the flame, you ran in on your own, you called 911. That was amazing, but this could have been so much worse. And as the father is watching his son, true story, and the dad is like beaming, these big firemen, impressive in their outfits. The kid is white as a ghost, sweating, cannot crack a smile. And he's looking at his son and he's thinking, oh no. I know what happened here. 
Now, it's funny. I told that story the first hour, and a guy came up to me, and he was probably 50 years old. He goes, same thing happened to me in our neighbor's barn. The whole thing went up in smoke. I remember it. You took me back there. So pretty soon, the dad is looking for his son, and he cannot find him. So he goes throughout the house, and he's saying the son's name. I'm not going to expose him here. Where are you? No word. Opens the door. Where are you? No word. Goes upstairs, and there is a lump under the sheets. His son was covered up. You can imagine the weight. Like if dad knows, I'm done. That, that moment you're thinking, I'm in prison. I'm going to juvie, whatever it is. He says, where are you? And he, open, he uncovers himself and in tears bawling, he just unloads the true story. I know you told me. I did it. I, I thought I did the right thing. And, I, and he's just like fumbling all of this confession. And the dad looking at his son and the pain in this moment as he comes clean. The dad wraps him up in his arms. And he says, I love you. This is a, the topic of love is so big. This is like... I feel like I could, I could preach for hours. I won't. I could preach for hours, and I'd, coming to this was like there's too much to talk about. How do we love? What does Christ's love look like? All of this. And as I was praying, this story came into my mind because I really feel like the dad's question for the boy is the question that God wants to ask us this morning. Where are you? His son was hiding. Dad knew exactly what had happened. And yet now the son is running away from the dad and he's hiding from the dad, filled with shame and guilt, fear of rejection and the punishment that might come if he was really exposed for what he did. Now this is the human story. The reason why I know at some level you are hiding from God and you are covering up from each other is because from the very beginning of the biblical story in Genesis 3, this is what we do. Look at Genesis 3-7. You know the story. Adam and Eve had sinned. God had told them, don't eat from the fruit. And they did. They rebelled. They grasped at the position of God. I will determine what's right and wrong. I want to be like God. They ate of the fruit. And immediately the shame and the guilt set in. And they go under the sheets. Look what it says. The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves, covering their shame from one another. There is a cover-up happening. And then the man and his wife, this is verse 8, heard the sound of the Lord, and God was walking up the stairs in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden." God had enjoyed this intimacy with humanity, and then one day he walks in, and they're hiding, and they've got new outfits on. And he says, verse 9, where are you? As a way to draw out humanity. This morning, this is what I feel like God has for us. My hope is that the question uh, 
Can I come out? Is it safe? Is answered clearly and definitely. Here's where we're going to start. Can I, can I come out? Where are you? Um, point number one. We have to know that in love God is pursuing us. This morning, I believe you came to church, and maybe you came as a routine. Uh, maybe you came because you really needed to be inspired. Uh, maybe you came because of some social pressure. But I believe that you're here this morning because God is pursuing you. He has pursued you, and he is pursuing you. The Lord said to Adam and Eve, where are you? And I feel like this morning, God wants to say that to us. God in love has arrived in a manger. This is Advent. We're celebrating that. We're celebrating the aspect of God's love has arrived on earth, and his love is a pursuing love. He pursued them in the garden when they had rebelled. Genesis 3 through 11, there's a spiral of rebellion against God that happens and kind of culminates in the Tower of Babel in a totally corrupt system of idolatry and rebellion against God, chapter 11 of Genesis. But chapter 12, the pursuing God, God initiates with Abraham a plan and a promise to restore. We celebrate Advent as joy to the world, hope to the nation, right? peace on earth, love for the world. All of that is initiated by God in Genesis 12 to a man named Abraham. God in love is pursuing humanity. And then the New Testament opens up and and Israel had, has failed and been unfaithful in this covenant, this relationship that God initiated. They had failed, and yet the New Testament opens up. For God so loved the world. The love for the world compelled God to send Christ. Sometimes I think the way we hear it is God was so angry at the world that he sent his son as a sacrifice so that he wouldn't be angry anymore. There might be some true elements of God's wrath in there, but what the New Testament opens up with is God is initiating a relationship with you, and he is compelled by love for you to send his son to save the world because he loves you. Where are you? What are the bushes that you're hiding in? I think there's the reality that when we know we're going to come to the word, we're going to be exposed. There's a fear of rejection. What are the bushes that you've, you've hidden in and consumed with a hobby or your, your kids' lives or whatever those things might be that distract you from running to, to God? Now, the world has a different version of love. I, I often think of this like uh, uh, a friend, John Ori, described this to me years ago, and I think it's a great illustration. When we use the word love, some of you hear love and you're really suspicious, right? I know the culture's talking about love and it's that's not good. I remember I used to do a Bible study in assisted living, and I, I used to talk about love and read the scriptures, and my friend George, who's now in the presence of God, every time would go, you just can't love everybody. I mean, without fail, he was going to say it every single lesson. You can't love everybody, and he would make a big stance, and me and George would get into it. 
What he meant as we unearthed his version of love is a very worldly love. I'm talking about agape love. So this picture that John Ori gave me was of a buoy that kind of sits on the water. And that buoy lets you know about, you know, it's anchored by a chain or a rope to something down below, maybe a reef, okay? And so at the top, we hear this word love, but the Bible anchors that to Christ and the cross. There is a picture in the definition, you know, we often say, I think it's probably, yeah, it's a cut down, but it's said to me often. Man, uh, if we looked up gullible in the dictionary, there'd be a picture of you, right? No definition, just a picture of you. Um, Okay, so if the Bible, if you look up the definition of love, literally agape love is a picture of Jesus. The word's definition is Jesus's life and that in particular on the cross. So on the buoy, we have this word love, but it's anchored to Jesus's life. And the culture has kind of like snipped it. And that word love no longer means what the Bible talks about. And so people get really suspicious of that word love. So we need to define it a little bit. I think one of the terrifying things of existing in relationships with the world's kind of love is this. Uh, I will love you if you're lovable. And even though I think the cultural current is love everybody, is that actually functionally true in anyone's life? Does anyone feel completely safe in relationships to say exactly what's on your mind and in your heart with no fear that you'll be rejected? I don't think of another time in my life where I have felt more anxious about really exposing who I am and the things that I believe and the truths that I cling to without being rejected. And so here's kind of how it works. is like, if you think like me, if you vote like me, if you love the things that I love, if you love the people that I love, I will love you. Now, the reality is, this is going to squeak. Oh, it didn't squeak. That's great. It was a big squeak last hour. The reality is, is it creates kind of this uh, scenario where it's like, this is who I really am. But if you knew this version and how I disagreed with what you're saying right now, you'd reject me. So I'm going to kind of cover that up so that we can be in relationship. This is very similar to I feel like what's happening in the garden is they cover themselves with fig 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 leaves because their fear of rejection, their shame, if you knew me really, you would reject me. And so we walk in these relationships and we, it's a grand cover-up. I'm going to present to you this version of Brian so that you'll want to be my friend, so that you'll follow me, so that you'll draw near to me. Now, you know, kids and social media are an easy target, but I'm here Guys, I'm going after the, adult, the adults today, all right? As much as I hear parents saying like, oh, social media, social media, social media, they use filters, you know? It's like the real them is not good enough. You know? Oh, there's the squeak. The real them is not good enough. So what we're going to do is we're going to highlight the good things 
and we're going to edit out or like hide the bad things. Is that kind of how we do it? Right? You like take a picture. It's so funny because like, give me that picture. Let me see that. All right. No, take it again. Take it again. Take it. You know, and then we change the, I don't know. I don't know how it works. But there's an art to it. There's an art to it, right? And then I'm like, let me see the picture. All right, that's the version of, of me I want the world to see, right? That's how we do it. We highlight the good. We edit out the bad. This is what filters do to our image. Like, what does a filter do? But just like clean up the bad stuff, highlight the good, and that's the image I can give you. We're doing it with images. We're doing it with the stories that we tell. We tell stories about something really happened, but all of a sudden we're exaggerating, you know? And it's like this story, that was like a great story, now it becomes like this story, you know? Why do we do that? Isn't it fig leaves? Aren't we covering our shame with fig leaves, fake, justifying, validating ourselves. God is pursuing us, but here's what you need to know. God is pursuing us in real love. God is, God is not in love with this version that you, point, you give everybody else. This is, this is not. God's love exposes. This is point two. Look at John 3, 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Like if I come to God... And maybe some people feel this about coming to church. He's going to read the Bible, and I'm going to get exposed at some level. And the Bible says nobody likes the exposure of saying, like, actually, that's not the real you. And then you're kind of like, okay, this is, and then it goes deeper, and it's like, oh, no, this is the real you, you know? And then you get deeper. Because anyone wondering how many of this, <laughs> this is as small as it gets, all right? God exposes you. God has x-ray vision. He sees through all of the cover-up. And maybe that's terrifying. Because I've been hiding behind. I'm a decent dad, you know. I'm a, I'm a good businessman. I'm fair. You know, I'm, I'm a loyal friend. I'm a, I'm a good husband. And our way of justifying ourselves is to look at the things that we've done and to say, I'm valuable, I'm validated, I'm justified. Look at this. But God has x-ray vision through all of that. He's not fooled by the leaves. He sees the real you. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Luke 16, 15, Jesus says the same thing. He's talking to Pharisees. And he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, appearance. But God 
knows your heart. And what people are valuing is highly detestable in God's sight. God sees the real you. And, and the light that God is is going to expose the real you. In love. In 2 Samuel, um, David has committed adultery. Uh, Bathsheba has, is with child, his child. And the husband, Uriah, gets sent by David to the front lines, and he is, he's killed in war. This massive cover-up that David is in. And, and God, in love, pursues David and exposes him. I don't know if you guys know the story. Uh, Nathan comes to David, and he says, let me tell you a story, king. There's a man that has all these sheep. This wealthy man had all these lambs, all these sheep, great wealth. And then there's this other man who has one lamb and has actually raised that lamb like a pet, like a part of the family since birth, has raised that up in his family. And the rich man was about to have a party and needed to slaughter a lamb. And the rich man took the poor man's lamb, slaughtered it, prepared it, gave it to his guests. Now, David is irate. David blows up like this man is awful. He deserves to die and pay back all of four times what he stole. Like he is indignant. And you guys know the response in verse 7. This is 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 9. Nathan said to David, King David, you're the man in the story. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and, you, uh, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. And took his wife to be your own, you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Exposed. Like David could not hide from God, because through this story, God is saying, I want to get to the real you, David. This is who you really are. David's response. In verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Cut to the heart. No more cover-up. I'm before a holy God, and all I can say is, have mercy on me. I've sinned against the Lord. Jesus told a parable in the New Testament. It was very similar. One person, the Pharisee, is praying and saying, I'm so glad I'm not like these other people. They're so messed up. They don't do this. They don't do that. I give. I, 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 I. And the person next to him is the tax collector. And he says the only thing the tax collector can do is he can't even lift up his head but is beating himself. Have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee is involved in a cover-up and comes to God covered up. And the tax collector says, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. I'm exposed. 
Isaiah 6, 5. Isaiah is taken away in a vision to the throne, and there's angelic beings saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah hits the ground and says, I'm undone. I'm a dead man. Because the real me has been exposed, and I'm a sinner. In the same way, the parable, in the same way as King David, Peter, and Jesus kind of gave the leadership of his church to when he experienced a miracle from Jesus with the fish coming into the net. If you know that story, he sees this miraculous thing, and you know what Peter does? Lord, you need to get away from me. Please leave me alone. You need to depart. Why? I am a sinful man. You see, God's holiness exposes the difference between us and a holy God. And we see it in the garden when they sew together fig leaves and hide in the bushes. And God is pursuing us in love to call us out of hiding and to expose the reality of who we are. And thank God that he exposed me. I, as a 12-year-old, came to Christ. And to be honest, you know, maybe this version. I understood that God paid for my penalty of sin. But if I was to be honest, I'd say standing in there and listening to the gospel presentation, I'd be like, Okay, I get good grades. I don't say too many bad words. I don't laugh too hard at the naughty jokes. You know, my friends' parents like me. I'm a decent kid. My coaches call me coachable. I'm not causing a huge amount of trouble. Like, I had an idea of God's love that this is who he loved. That's, me. That's the 12-year-old version of God's love. And then I came to this church. And Pastor Tom, I can remember Ephesians 2:15. And this is point number 3. In God when in love God covers us. He exposes the depths of our sin and then he covers us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Spiritually dead in our sin, following the pattern of this world. And that pattern is of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. I was following a satanic pattern of the world, following the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. How many? All of us. How many? All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's judgment, his wrath. But because of his great love for us, he exposes the reality of our rebellion and he says, this person, this version of you 
Because of his love for that person, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace that you have been saved. Look, his love in that moment was no longer the 12-year-old version of like, he likes me covered up. He exposed me at this church, and his love is bigger, and it's wider, and it's deeper than your mind can even fathom. And if you get this, even the knowledge of this kind of love, that it exists, this with no cover-up, a perfect love and perfect acceptance, if we get that, we will be filled. What does that mean? There is a soul thirst in all of us. And we are trying to be filled. We're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to feel okay, to feel proud, to feel significant, to feel worthy. And we're doing it through our parenting. And we're doing it through our career, through our possessions and what we present. And we know we're exhausted. If we get this love, you will be filled And when people are grabbing at leaves, like in the garden, they're covering up, right? They're justifying themselves, hiding their shame. Those of you that are in a marriage, you start to feel like, I'm a good guy. I'm a good wife. And then, you know, this happens. No, you're not. Like, whatever you're hiding behind, like, they're removing leaves and saying, like, what about that? Well, I'm a good pastor. Well, what about that? Well, I'm a good dad. Well, what about that? And every time somebody's grasping out leaves, it is this horrendous feeling of being exposed. Here's the deal. If we get God's love and we're filled, we understand. Where's my little guy? He rolled away. We understand that God loves this version. I can say to those, like, you found a weakness in me. Instead of putting on a cover-up and saying, no, I'm not that, you can say, look, I've got a God with x-ray vision. You plucked away one leaf and exposed me. I've got a God with x-ray vision that sees the whole me, and there's a lot more weakness and failure than you care to believe. And he's loved me perfectly. I'm not hiding anymore my weakness and failure I've been exposed by the King of Kings and he's loved me perfectly and my hiding place is his blood. I have courage now to be more authentic because I've been loved and filled perfectly. You see, just at the right time when I was still powerless, Christ died for me, an ungodly man. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. This is the definition of love. Are you ready? This is how it's demonstrated. While you were a sinner, rebellious, Christ died for you. And now you're not justified by the leaves and the good things that you do. You're justified by his blood. Christian, pick your head up. Christ has come. In love, he has pursued you. This morning, he is pursuing you and he's calling you out 
to expose you so that he can show you that his love is way better than you ever dreamed or imagined. This one is safe to come out like the boy that uncovers himself and is sick, sweating, nauseous. And he says, this is who I am. This is what I've done, dad. God is ready to welcome us and to cover us. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. Fill in your name. For God so loved Brian that he sent his only son. The manger scene is the Christ child, is the expression of God's love for us. And on the cross, he is going to cover us with his righteousness, not our cover-up. In the prodigal son, Luke 15, we are familiar, many of us, with that story. There's two sons. The one son gets his inheritance early and spends it on wild living. And in shame, the money runs out. He's living in a pigsty, and he comes back to the father, and he's rehearsed what he's going to say. Much like Isaiah, much like Peter, much like King David, I'm a sinner. And before he can even launch into his speech, the father sees him, has compassion, and runs to his son. And what does he do? He covers him up. The son's been exposed. And the father covers him up. My son was lost and now he's found. He was dead. He's now alive. Kill the fattened calf. Throw a party. We're going to celebrate. We're so afraid to come out and to be exposed. Luke 15 is every illustration that God gives us. That's what my dad is like in heaven. When you come to him, he throws a party in heaven. There is more rejoicing in heaven amongst the host of heaven, when one sitter comes, exposed, I'm a sinner, and watches the father love the rebel. I wish I had the skill to write a song. I don't. Connor's doing a great job in that category. But if I were to write a song, I'd probably just borrow Psalm 32. King David once he was exposed by Nathan, he writes a song, and we're going to end with this. Psalm 32, 7. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are what? Covered. Blessed is the one who, whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The cover-up is over trying to justify myself, highlight my good, hide the bad, filter my life is over. There's no more deceit. Blessed is that one who's not living a lie. He says this, when I kept silent, you think of the boy with the sheets over his head. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Life in the bushes, life in the trees, life in covering up from each other and life covering up from God. David is saying like, that was hell. 
My bones were wasting away. There's a physical response to hiding. He says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And he forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let the, all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Listen to seven. You are my hiding place. Where do we hide? In the Lord. You are my hiding place, not the bushes. You will protect me from trouble. And you will surround me with songs of deliverance. We don't when we have shame, when we have those feelings of guilt, don't run to the bushes. Hide in Christ and he wraps us in his blood. The Father accepts us. Is it safe to come out? Yes. God's pursuing you in love. God will expose the depths of the sin. And then those depths will be covered by the grace of God through the sacrifice on the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. It's because of his love that the manger scene exists, and it's because of love that that little baby boy went to a cross. And it's because of love he rose and defeated death for you. And it's because of love he sent his spirit to convict you of sin and to bring you so that you can be reconciled to the Father. And because of his love for the world, this spirit is indwelling inside of you. And because of his love for the world, he is going to love through you. The last point, in God loves you, through you. He sends you. This image, our prayer for this church is that like we're like a sponge and we're dipped in the love of God. We're soaking it in. God loves the real me and he loves me perfectly. The height and width and depth that I can't even understand, that love I'm soaking in and now wherever I go, I'm expelled. His love through me to the world. This is who we are. This is our calling. And if we try and love the world without soaking in his love, it's a fool's errand and it's impossible. We are filled by him. And we are sent by him. Help one now. We reconcile. Your neighbor, people in need, are going to experience the love of God through you. And here's what our love is like. It's like the cross. We don't require that you cover up, that you have a good reputation. We don't love those that look like this. If he says, love one another like I have loved you, we love this. And it's ugly. We don't require that whatever blessing we extend to you will be reciprocated to us. That's not God's love. Jesus is on the cross and those crucifying him, he extends blessing to them. And this idea of we will lay down our life for the good of others. 
This is our birthmark. If the first birthmark is sin, we're born into this world through Adam, that birthmark is sin. The rebirth mark, if you've been born again, you've been touched by the cross, that agape love, your new birthmark, is that you love others with agape love. Love has come in a manger. He's gone to the cross. He's sent his spirit. He's at work through us. Let's pray. Lord, there aren't words and there aren't songs to explain the depths and the riches of your love for us. But what we know is that you see us how we really are and you have compassion. When we confess our sins and come to you, you have compassion, you see us, and because of your mercy, you come running and you wrap us in righteousness, you wrap us in your blood, you become our cover-up. You become our hiding place. Lord, I pray we'd be a church that would understand the depth of that love and that would share it with others through your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.